you go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, as we continue our study through Matthew's gospel this Lord's Day, and as you do, just let me once again uh, thank Lewis and Ann for being here with us, and we appreciate them sharing the gifts that God has given them uh, through the Holy Spirit to come and share with us this morning. Uh, Sandy and I were just talking a couple weeks ago, we were listening to a CD, and I was talking about how I, uh, I so appreciate people who are able to put such great words together, and songwriters can do that, and, and she said, yeah, and they can do it in three minutes, and it takes you 30 minutes, and that's not where I was going with that, but uh, so I'm not going to be three minutes this morning either, uh, but I do appreciate that, and um, appreciate the words we just heard about what it means to truly follow Christ, and uh, prayerfully, as we have been going through Matthew's gospel, uh, God's Spirit is speaking to you as He is speaking to me about what it truly means to be a Christ follower. And uh, this Lord's Day, as we look to His words in Matthew 16, 1 through 12, we will get a, another picture of that, of, of those who have come to accuse Jesus, those who have come to criticize Jesus, much like we have seen throughout the Gospels, His response to them, and what that means for us here and now this Lord's Day. So let me read Matthew 16, 1 through 12, uh, and then pray for our time in God's Word. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to, to test them, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you a little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand, or how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of te the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's pray for our time in God's word this morning. Father, as we read in your word today, the, the warning from Jesus that, that he was telling the disciples they needed to be on guard, they needed to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, of their teachings. Father, my prayer for us today that, is that we would be aware of those same things, that we would see that things that have maligned the church, that have corrupted the church, that have misled the church, that have taken away from you and your word, that those things that were there then in the hearts of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they are here this Lord's day in some of our hearts and the danger is within all of our hearts to believe falsely, to believe wrongly, to be misguided. Even now, Father, our minds may be in another place. We may be distracted. We may be worried. We may be anxious. We may be thinking about a hundred different things. And so, Father, I pray just as 
you spoke to your disciples in the boat in this text we've just read that they needed to be aware, they needed to be on guard. I pray that we too this morning would be aware and be on guard that, that your Spirit would awaken us, that your Spirit would teach us, that your Spirit would lead us to truth and righteousness. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus Christ our King. Amen. Well, there was a, an auction on eBay, for those of you familiar with eBay, a number of years ago that was, was quite peculiar. It happened in 2004, and uh, it was an item that uh, a person had paid very little for, and yet they got quite a bit for us. Uh, there was a lady who sold an item on eBay that day for $28,000. Her name was Diane Dicer, and, and what was interesting about this wasn't so much the amount that she sold this item for, it's what the item actually was. Uh, it was a grilled cheese sandwich uh, that she had taken a bite out of 10 years before. Uh, she had preserved this sandwich, she had sold it, and the reason there was such great interest in it was because when she took that bite out of the sandwich, suddenly, she said, there appeared uh, an, an imprint, an, an image of the Virgin Mary on this sandwich. And it overwhelmed her, and she stopped eating. She put it in a Ziploc bag, and 10 years later, someone actually paid, a group actually paid $28,000 for this sandwich. Now, you may not have heard of that story, but you've probably heard of situations where there's been great fascination, and people have gone to great lengths to go and see someone's refrigerator that, that appears to have the image of Christ's face in mold growing inside it. Or someone who claims that they've got something else like that. I read in one case of a, of a man who was, was uh, in a, a skillet. He had some, some type of cream sauce and he left it on there too long. And, and as it baked down, there, behold, it was the face of Jesus looking right up at him. Another situation where a woman was uh, on a Sunday morning. She uh, was cleaning up, picking up around the house. She decided to iron some clothes. She noticed... Uh, kind of some type of burning noise coming from the iron. She picked it up, and lo and behold, there was the face of Jesus on the iron looking at her. And she later recounted to reporters how, how comforted she was, how encouraged she was. Uh, she'd been having a tough time. Things had been going tough for her, and, and that's really what she needed to see that morning. Christian, the question for us is, what do we do with these things? Is this God speaking to us today? Is He speaking to us through grilled cheese sandwiches or unclean refrigerators or, or irons that burn? Is that what He is using to communicate to His church today? Well, I don't think that it is. And I think that namely because He's giving us something already so much greater than that to speak to us. And it's His Word. And it's Christ who is the Word. And... And that's what we're going to look at today, but, but as we do, I want us to, to be careful because it's, it's very easy for us to look at someone who's got a, a grilled cheese sandwich with a, supposedly a, the Virgin Mary on it and to, to kind of laugh at that. And yet, when we really look at our own lives, I think there's a little bit more of that than each of us than we want to really admit to. There's this, this something inside us that's drawn towards the, the fascinating, that's drawn towards the the sign-seeking. We want to hear a voice from God. We want to see handwriting on the wall. Sometimes to the extent that we look for those things so much, we ignore what's in front of us. And we'll see that now as we look to the text in this 
encounter Jesus has with Pharisees and Sadducees, as we look against it, I think there's a warning here from us. And the warning is that, that we need to guard against what they were doing. We need to guard against seeking signs. And verse 1 of chapter 16 says the Pharisees and the Sadducees came as we've been going through Matthew's gospel now for about a year and a half. We have seen many encounters Jesus has had with the, the Pharisees and the scribes, but this is only the second time the Sadducees have been mentioned. So it's worth stopping here to explain who, who these people are. You see, the Pharisees we, we've talked about, you know that the, the Pharisees were religious rulers, you know, the Pharisees were those who oftentimes added to God's Word. They, they imposed their own thoughts, their own regulations. Uh, they looked back historically on the church and they saw that so often uh, the people of Israel, you see this in the Old Testament, they would wander, they would wander, they would wander. And so they felt it was their, their obligation to, to make see that the people didn't wander anymore. And so they had to explain the law, they had to interpret it, but they, they did it to the extent that their explanations, their commentaries became more significant and more important and more enforced than the Word of God. That was the Pharisees, and so that's why we saw just a few Lord's Days ago when we looked at Matthew 15, the Pharisees are upset because the disciples aren't cleansing their hands ceremonially as they have said they need to cleanse them. They're not even concerned about God's Word and what it says about taking care of their parents, and Jesus points that out. But now we've got a group with them called the Sadducees. The Sadducees, the only other time we've seen up to this point was when John was baptizing and he calls out the Pharisees and the Sadducees as a brood of vipers and calls them to repentance. See, these aren't two groups of people that otherwise were going to be together that much. Because while the Pharisees were, were the law keepers and the rule makers, the Sadducees essentially were those who, who they denied the miraculous. They, they were religious, they were a ruling class, but they were modernists, they were materialistic, they focused just on the here and now, they didn't believe in the supernatural. And so I can remember as a young Christian, uh, my pastor teaching me the way to remember the difference between the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees denied all these things, including the, the resurrection. So he would say, you know, the Sadducees denied the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. And that's how I can remember who the Sadducees were. So, put that down this morning. There's a great difference between these two because you had one who were saying, oh yes, we're looking for the miraculous. Yes, we, we believe in these things. Yes, we're looking for the Messiah. Now they denied Christ, but they were looking for those things. And then you had this group who, they just live for the here and now. Uh, to them, the, the body and the soul ceased to exist at death. There, there was no heaven, there was no hell, there was no hereafter. Everything was about here and, and now. And so they had very different perspectives, and yet here we see them together. Why? Because they have a common enemy. Uh, they are both, both opposed to the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ. And so just as we saw in Matthew 15 where the Pharisees and the scribes have come from Jerusalem, it's a sense that there's an official delegation being sent to either stop Jesus or maybe to accurately report on Jesus so charges can be brought against him. Now we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, probably as well a, a delegation from Jerusalem who they are seeking to, uh, to bring charges against Christ. And in the text here we get a glimpse of that because it says that they're seeking to test him. They want to see a sign from heaven. Now, we know that their intent is not just to see if Jesus really is who He says He is. They're, they're trying to test Him, and we also would know that, even if it wasn't in the text, based on what's already taken place. 
What other signs are there? (laughs) Jesus, we want to see you raise the dead. He's already done that. Jesus, we want to see you make a blind person see. Done. We want to see you make someone who's deaf hear. Done. Jesus, we want to see you control nature and stop a storm and bring calm to a raging sea. Done. Jesus, we want to see you fulfill the prophecy about the Messiah that we read throughout the Old Testament. Done, 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 done. What other sign did they want to see? Well, they didn't want to see a sign. If they did see a sign, they likely would have responded to it like the Pharisees already have. You'll recall in one situation, as Jesus heals someone, rather than deny the healing, what do the Pharisees do? They say, oh yes, that took place. That's supernatural, but that's from the devil. And so they had attributed the things of God to the enemy. So here, had Jesus done what they asked? Had He responded to their bidding? They likely would have just said, well, He's possessed by the devil and possibly brought that charge against Him immediately. No, they they don't really want to see a sign. They just want to put Jesus to the test. But notice he, He actually responds to them. There's times when... Questions like this are asked, and Jesus just teaches about something else. But, but here he responds. It says, verse 2, he answered them. When it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. He, he basically is saying, listen, you know how to interpret the weather. And we have a similar saying tonight, today. You know, um, I just can't remember it off the top of my head, <laughs> but it's really good. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. We don't use that one in Bloomfield a lot. But what's that saying? It's saying we can look to the sky and we can tell the weather. We do use that one a lot. Uh, we make great investments in technology so we can know what weather's coming, especially for those of you whose income is tied to agriculture. You want to know what's coming. We, we know how to interpret the weather. Some of us, before our feet ever hit the floor, we already know what the temperature outside is. And we know what it's going to be the next day, and the next day, and the next day. We, we look to these things. We plan for these things. And essentially, what Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the equivalent of Him saying this to us today. You know how to check on the weather. You know how to interpret signs regarding the weather. But you're missing the biggest sign of all. And that's what he's saying here is that they're they're asking for a sign. He's already given them all these signs. And they don't get it. And friends, we can do the same thing today. We often will test God. We may not call it that, but it's exactly what we do. And we'll often demand a a sign from God. God, if you really want me to do this, then just show me a sign. Or if you really don't want me to do this, then you you just tell me, you just show me a sign. And we demand signs much like the Pharisees and Sadducees did. And much like them, we need to realize that the answer's already in front of us. See, the Pharisees and the scribes here, the great irony is, Here they are looking at Jesus, and He is the sign. I mean, He's here. This this is the Messiah. The answer's in front of them. And they don't see it. And friends, so often we do the same thing. We we demand from God signs. We say, God, if if you want me to take this job, or if you want me to do this thing, or if you want me to stop this thing, then, then, then just show me. 
But the whole time we're doing that, rather than looking to God's Word, which tells us many of those things, it remains closed. And we're ignorant to it. And that's why often we will be in complete disobedience to it and we'll say things like, well, it just feels like the right thing. Well, I didn't know I shouldn't do that. Well, we wouldn't know if we would have sat down and spent time to read God's Word, which clearly laid out for us how the Christian life is supposed to be lived. But no, we would rather have signs. And so I think there's something within us, there's this fascinating desire within us of we would rather have some peculiar oddity happen than pick up God's Word and open it. God, if you really want me to, to do such and such, then, then make all the stoplights green today. Well, they weren't green. I guess he don't want me to do that. God, if you really want me to have this conversation, then, then, then when I call, then they're going to answer on the third ring. And you can just add to that list. And we've all done it at some point. We, we put God to the test and... And here's what that basically comes down to. Rather than look to the inspired Word of God revealed through the Holy Spirit through many different individuals over the process of centuries, God's Word breathed out to us. Rather than open it up and seek wisdom from it, we'd rather shake a magic eight ball. And I think that's what God's revealing in this text to the church today. We don't need to go seek signs. And just a little side note here, when you read through the Scripture and you see signs that God gives, they're usually not stoplights turning green. They're usually people being wiped off the face of the earth. They're plagues. Uh, signs are usually not very good things. People say, I wish I had handwriting on the wall. No, read that. You don't want that. You know, in the Scripture, signs were usually given in judgment, except for a great sign that we see, and that's the sign of fulfilled prophecy in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus says, you're, you're an evil and adulterous generation looking for a sign. But listen, no sign's going to be given except for the sign of Jonah. We looked at this when we studied Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, and there's a lot there, and I'd, I'd reference you to go back to that sermon, but essentially Jesus is the greater Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, Jesus is going to be... He's going to go to the cross, and three days later, he's going to raise, be raised again. You know, Jonah preached a message of repentance. Jesus offered an atoning sacrifice for repentance. Two very different individuals, but when we look in the Scripture, we see that, that Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jonah was just a little foreshadowing of what was to come in the Messiah. And, and that's every prominent figure in the Scripture. Jesus is the greater Adam, he's the greater Moses, he's the greater Abraham. Where all these men fail, we see that Jesus is righteous and perfect. And when Jesus says, no sign's going to be given except for the sign of Jonah, he's saying, there's another sign coming, and it's the cross. And that's the only sign you need. The, the, the gospel is what we need. And for us today who long for signs, who look for signs, who are fascinated, we need to step back and realize there's a great sign in front of us. And we need to be careful that we don't look past it. But it is so easy to do because we base so much on our feelings. And sometimes we don't really feel like reading the Bible. We, we feel like sinning. The Scripture says sin's pleasurable for a season. That's why we do it, by the way. <laughs> I mean, nobody's arm-twisting you into sin. 
We do it because we're naturally inclined towards it because our depravity longs for it. And so then when it comes to an issue of repenting from that sin, turning from that sin, being confronted on that sin, we don't want to hear those things. And so we begin to to reason with God over things like signs. And so God, I I know that people tell me not to do this. I know what the Bible says, but it just feels right. So if you really don't want to do it, then you just give me a sign, God. And then it just becomes this emotional argument. I, I remember one situation a number of years ago and Different city, different church. I was doing premarital counseling for a couple. Uh, they, they had a long engagement. We'd had a long time to do counseling. We were about eight months into it. The invitations were about to go out. I mean, it was a week away. They'd been printed. They're ready. They're about to go out. They're checking addresses. And we had a counseling appointment. In the midst of that counseling appointment, something came up in the, the groom-to-be's life that, that was enormous. It, it was huge. I've never dealt with it before. I've never dealt with it since. It was a major sin issue in his life that she knew nothing about. He had kept completely private. And, and God is gracious and God forgives and there's repentance and faith. But I had to tell this couple, you know, we can't continue on this timeline because you can't get married in a few months. You, you've got to really deal with this or, or your marriage is going to just reap this for years. And I'll never forget that young bride-to-be just looking at me with such great disappointment and saying, I know what the Bible says about this, but God has told me it's okay. What do you say to that? I mean, that's the trump card. God has told me this is okay. The only thing I could say was, well, he, he hasn't told me that. And so I can't do this and... And there was pain, and there was frustration, there was anger. But, but God's Word is clear on what it says. But, but, but I realized in that encounter, I do the same thing. I either don't read the Bible, because I know exactly what it says, and I don't want to be convicted of it. Or I read it, but I try to move it around and interpret it. And whatever it is, I just kind of look for signs from God, rather than look into the Word of God. And and friends, there's a warning here. And if your Christian life has been lived that way, where you kind of just go from one emotional experience to another, and God give me a sign, and oh, you won't believe what God did, and the phone rang on the third time, or you know, such and such number, you know, God has spoken to us through His Word. We don't look need to look for those fascinating things. And for those of us who do, there's a warning here. Verse four: An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and so that that is what we are a part of. If that's how we're living the Christian life, we need to be aware of that. The, we also see as we go through the text that we need to beware, we need to be on guard as well of legalism. In this next part, in the closing part of the text, verses 5 through 12, Jesus leaves the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, he then travels with the disciples. And notice what happens here. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples something, and specifically about something they need to be on guard against. But notice how they respond. Jesus says, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The leaven in the Scripture Leaven was used for bread, it fermented, it made the bread rise. Leaven was often associated with evil, and that's why uh, for ceremonies in the Scripture you had unleavened bread. That's why Jesus in the parable said, talked about leaven growing. He's talking about the corruption of the Pharisees and Sadducees and false teaching growing. And here he's saying, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But notice how the disciples respond. They're not associating these things. They say, well, we didn't bring any bread. I mean, they think Jesus is saying, okay, you can go buy leaven from anybody you want, but not from the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're saying, we didn't buy any bread anyways, Jesus. They're, they're not getting it here. And so then Jesus says, listen, 
That's not what I'm talking about. You have little faith. Why are you talking about bread? Why don't you perceive? He's trying to arrest and help them understand this isn't about bread. In the other gospel texts, we see that they even start saying, well, we just have one loaf. They just can't get out of the mindset of bread. You know, some of you right now, your mind can't get past food. I'm included in that, by the way. I'm hungry. It's close to lunchtime. There can be a hundred different things going on in my life, but when it gets close to mealtime, guess what I think about? A meal. Because our body starts groaning for it. We start thinking about it. Jesus here is trying to help them understand, listen, your natural inclination towards thinking about food, there's something bigger at play here. not talking about bread. I'm not talking about physical leaven. I'm talking about the way that leaven works on bread is the way the influence that the Pharisees and Sadducees are having on you. And it's the way they're going to influence the church. The church that we're going to, as we continue going through Matthew 16, we're going to see the establishment of the church coming. And Jesus is saying, you need to be careful and you need to look out. And yet, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about food. And they're thinking, we don't have food. And if we don't have food, we're not going to eat. And what had Jesus just done? I mean, they're fresh off an experience where there's people who hadn't eaten in three days. And Jesus, out of His compassion for them, takes a sack lunch and feeds probably 10,000, 20,000 people. The text says 4,000 men. You have women and children in that. There's probably 15,000, 20,000 people there. And the disciples were right there. And not too long before that, Similar situation. Text tells us Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe, maybe 20, maybe 30,000 people. And so here, Jesus has miraculously shown, you don't need another sign, He is the sign. He's miraculously shown, you don't need to worry about provision, He can provide, and the disciples are doing what? They're thinking about what they can do. They're thinking about their abilities. And friends, we do the same thing. You know, one of the great things we get from reading the Scriptures, we see the mighty works of God, and we see the hand of God, and we see who God is. But if we don't read that, we're left just to look at our experience and what we can do. And I think in part, when Jesus is warning, specifically here about the leaven of the Pharisees, he, he is warning against legalism. He's telling us to be on guard against legalism. Legalism basically boils down to this. I'm going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in my works. You know, legalism is very much, you do this and this is going to happen. You don't do this, this won't happen. It's by the rules and often a legalistic heart will invent its own rules to make itself feel righteous. And that's why you have the Pharisees coming up with rules about hand cleansing to make themselves feel more righteous when they would pour that water over their hands and completely ignoring what the Scripture says about honoring and taking care of their parents. And our legalistic tendency takes us into the same place where rather than follow what God's Word says, we come up with our own list of rules. And as long as I do this and I don't do this, I'm going to be okay. But it's all focused on us. And so just like the disciples in the boat here, totally ignoring who Christ is and what He had done, they're just thinking about themselves. We fall into the same trap today. And that's why for some of you, rather than coming to the church today to worship this Lord's Day overwhelmed by the grace of God and 
and responding in such a way where you're here understanding that you don't deserve any of this? That any blessing in your life, any sense of righteousness in your life, it's not because of you. It's not that God was up in heaven one day and he looked down and he saw Richard Carwell and he said, man, that, that one, he really impresses me. <laughs> I assure you that wasn't the case. But it's an understanding that anything we have, anything God has done, it is totally by His grace. It's undeserved. We didn't do it. And, and, and that is an anti-legalistic thought because legalism will teach us that, well, no, this is about you. It'll take the gospel and it'll add to it. And a legalistic heart will say, well, things have to look like this and they have to be done this way. And if they're not done this way or they don't look like this, then they're just not right, regardless of what the Scripture says. The Scripture nowhere says that the pastor has to wear a tie when he preaches. But some of you are offended that I don't have a tie on right now. But here's the thing. Some of you are legalistic in a different way that if I wore a tie, you'd be offended that I wore it. So what do I do? We tie things up in traditions and in thoughts. And I don't mean that we should be disrespectful But we need to make sure we understand what does the Scripture say and what does the Scripture not say. And sometimes our thoughts on things are wrapped up more in legalistic tendencies than they are in the very Word of God. And we need to avoid that. But just as much as we need to guard our hearts against that, against the the, the leaven of the Pharisees, against legalism, we need to guard our hearts against worldliness. And that's what we see here in the Sadducees. I've already mentioned the difference between the, the two But Jesus here says both. You need to beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if the leaven of the Pharisees was legalism, I believe that the leaven of the Sadducees was worldliness. Because this was a group of people who were so focused on the here and now that they had no thought of what would come next. There is no body. There is no soul after death. It's gone. It's perished. And so what you're going to have, you're going to have here and now. So live life here and now and live it with everything. Don't worry about anything else. And friends, that's the attitude of many in the church today. And the attitude of many has become so worldly that you can't really delineate between what's of the world and what's of the church. We have come to a point where the world has much greater influence on us than we have on them. And a lot of it comes down to this leaven, this teaching, this attitude of the Sadducees that, that you need to just focus on what you can do and what you can get and what you can gain here and now. And what's left out of that is the fact that the Scripture teaches that the here and now is a very small part of the picture. Your your life, however long it may be, if it's 20 years, if it's 120 years, if you draw it out, on the the line of eternity, it's a very small part. And if we're not careful, we get so focused on the here and now and on us and our stuff that we fail to realize that we weren't just created for the here and now, we were created for eternity. And it can affect us in so many ways. On one hand, I think it affects us when we grieve and how we grieve because sometimes Christians grieve no different than the world grieves. Sometimes you experience Christians who are so torn up and just 
just in grief over situations that you would think that they think that this is it. And friends, this is not it. Praise God this is not it. Revelation 21, I say it often because that's what I have to see in the Scripture when I look to it. Because if I don't look to and realize that there's a day coming when Christ makes all things new, that we're created not just for this earth, but a new earth, that God's going to redeem all things, we're going to exist for eternity with Him, and all sickness, all pain, all sorrow, all tears, all death, all cancers, all suffering, any of it, it's gone. And all I was looking at was the medical diagnosis in front of me or the the obituary in front of me, that's a pretty bleak picture. And that in part is what I think Jesus is addressing in this, this attitude of the Sadducees. Friends, it's not just about here and now. And if that's what you focus on, if that's all you think there is, then you need to step back and see there's a bigger picture. And that's why we believe in the resurrection. We don't deny it. We understand that God is making all things new and praise God that He is doing that. And that's the only way I can look in someone's face when they are mourning and they are grieving and they are suffering and I can say, it is going to be alright. And I don't mean that in saying that God's going to show you some sign or you're going to have a burnt picture of Jesus on your iron when you go home. I mean that we will one day be comforted. And that day is going to be a lot longer than this day. And in that we have But we need to be careful because the more we think about ourselves and this world and what it has for us and what it can make of us and do for us, the more we fall into the teachings of the Sadducees who said exactly that and said you don't need to worry or be concerned about the resurrection or anything else. You just live it up today. And and sadly, many have done that to the extent where they have no regard for what happens next. And maybe that's where you or someone you love is today. And if it is, I just want to invite you to realize what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture says that, that there is much to come. But our experience there is based on our decision now. And the decision now is this. Will we follow Jesus or we will, deny, will we deny Jesus? Will we reject the teachings of legalism that tell us that by our works we'll be saved and the teachings of worldliness that tell us there's nothing to be saved from? And we will accept the gospel message that Jesus on that cross being perfect bore a penalty that you and I deserved. He died for our sin that we might receive His righteousness. And no amount of good works you do or good thoughts you have or good checks you write are ever going to atone for your sin. He already atoned for it on the cross. And our response to it is when we repent and turn from our sins and we place our faith in Him. If you're waiting for a sign in your life, to respond to the gospel, well, you got it now. It's the Scripture that says, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You have the Word of God in front of you. You need to respond to it. And perhaps you have done that long ago. You have repented. You have placed your faith in Jesus. So what is it for you this morning? I believe it's this, that you need to look at your heart and I need to look at mine. And we need to be honest with ourselves about the tendencies we have to be the Pharisee and the Sadducee. On one hand, to be so legalistic that we lose 
the gospel and just add to it a list of rules are so worldly that we lose the gospel and just think about the here and now. And we need to be careful as we look to the disciples this morning that we don't find ourselves in the same place they are, coming fresh off of a feast that was provided miraculously, miraculously, and worrying about what they're going to eat. Are you worried this morning about what you're going to eat? Or how you're going to pay your bills? Or what reports you're going to get from the doctor? Please, Christian, don't forget. Christ has conquered death. God has provided abundantly. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and what it speaks to us. And Lord, we see in the scripture this morning two groups of people who rejected the gospel in their own way. The Pharisees who added to it and lived by a gospel of works. The Sadducees who took away from it and denied the miraculous. Father, neither of those paths will lead us to righteousness through faith and repentance The only path that will is one where we follow your word, where we we stop this silly notion of thinking that we can look for signs in everyday life and and look for the fascinating and, and read people's accounts of emotional experiences. Lord, we have every account we need in front of us in your word. I pray, God, that we would be students of it and we would live according to it. And Father, I pray for any here this morning who perhaps you are calling even now to faith and repentance that during this time of invitation, Lord, that they would see that the the only sign they need is the sign of Jonah. It's the cross. And it's taken place. And today is the day to respond to it. And Lord, for, for those who have, perhaps there are issues in their life that you are calling them to repentance over right now. And I pray you would do that. And I pray they would respond. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll go ahead and stand with us, we want to offer an opportunity to respond. And If God has been leading you towards confessing Christ, towards baptism, towards joining this church, then we invite you to come forward and express that today. Perhaps you just need to come and pray about something God has put on your heart. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about someone else you need to lift up this morning. Maybe you just need to stop right there where you're at, and as we sing, just, just bow your head and pray. Whatever it is, we invite you to come and to respond during this time. To Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely Father, we do pray that that would be our heart, that we would surrender all to you. And Lord, that we would 
surrender those things which perhaps even this Lord's Day are interfering with our relationship with you, perhaps areas of sin, perhaps attitudes, actions, whatever they are, Lord, we pray we would repent of those, that we would surrender all, that we would follow you, and Lord, that that we would live in the great knowledge we have in the Scripture. We have so much more in front of us than the disciples had in this encounter this morning. They, they didn't know fully what was going to happen on the cross. They didn't know fully what was coming. We know now. And Lord, we have the opportunity to respond to that. So help us to go out and to, to share that great message with, with others as well. Lord, we lift up all these things to you in Christ's name. Amen.